You know, uh, I, I, I do love that the moral of Pitch Black is still, uh, it's all about family. It's it all, it is still all about family. We haven't talked about Vin on this show very much, you know. Fast Five? We did it once, right? But we, that was it, wasn't it? It's, you know, we did Iron Giant super early in the show, but... Oh, wait, we didn't do Iron Giant. I don't think That's we've right. done Iron we've Giant. We've not done Iron Giant. That's right. I just talked about Iron Giant. I think it was in our... 99. I think it was in our Tournament of Champions that we did a couple years ago. And it got executed. That's right. That's right. So we really haven't spent much real estate talking about the man, the myth, the legend. That's uh, true. He is sort of... The one... Vin Diesel. Was this... <laughs> He's, he is a singular performer. He really He's is something else. There's nobody. There's nobody with a career like Vin Diesel. No, not, not anybody like him. Mm-mm. He's got a. He's got a style. He's got a style. He's and he's a dork. He made that the biggest the, nerd in the world, right? Yeah, that last Witch Hunter movie is like based on a D and D campaign he did or something. He like I don't know the whole story, but six to eight hours at the gym, and then goes home to his basement. And just rolls dice for the next six hours. Rolls bones. We we look. We have no choice but to stand a nerd jock. We love them when <laughs> yeah. they show up. We respect them. We just woo 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 all the live long day. I've for seen him. YouTube videos of him playing D anD D, and he is hilarious. Yeah, he. I mean, he's great. I'm it's sure. The funniest thing I'm in the sure world. he's a hoot. But him and Joe Mange, Manganiello is another yeah. huge nerd. Another big and D&D just a guy. big jack guy too, which is cool. That's a guy that's only gotten bigger too. Like Manja, you know, he shows up in uh, Spider Man. He's yeah, still Flash. built, but like compared to what he looks like and now, and then the Magic looks, Mike, and yeah. he's just yeah, <laughs> huge, yeah. big yeah. dude. In that particular video, he rolls a critical twenty, Vin. Oh, yeah. uh, and his face and pure joy at great. The, it's it's fantastic. That's great. I love yeah, it. Check I it out. It. Look it up, friends. I love it. Hello, everybody, and welcome again to the Good Trash Honor Cast. We gather around a table. We discuss the films you'll never discuss in film today's course. We continue with our trash to uh, oppose our anti-trash marathon of science fiction films. We have to balance it out. That's right. We must find balance to the force. There must be light and there must be dark. And here we are in... The dark. The other half. Is it the dark? It's, it's, pitch, it's, black. it's, pitch, it's pitch black. <laughs> well, and I'll argue <laughs> that, you know, much like yin and yang, the purest of one still has some bit of the other. And we, it, and we, it just we need a world way. with both Solaris and pitch black. I couldn't agree more. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we're going to be doing that film here in just a few moments. I'm still Dustin. I'm still Arthur. I'm still Dalton, and I am on the run for Mercs, so we got to keep this quick. <laughs> That's a good point. In case you're tuning into the show for the very first time, dear friends and listeners, neighbors, and salutations to you all. We want to warn you, though, this is an analysis show, not a review show. What's so if you what, have not what, what, seen... What, what's the difference, Dustin? The difference between analysis and review is review tries to avoid spoilers. We don't care. However, we'll try to avoid this for the listener who may or may not have caught up to this movie, as there are lots of movies. And as such, we'll avoid spoilers with a synopsis, which will be spoiler-free. We'll have our thumbs-up, thumbs-down reviews, which was a part of our show, but it's a very, very small part of the show, uh, which will be very generally spoilery, like you might find in a Ebert review. Then we'll move on to a little game called Expanding the Syllabus, which oftentimes does not involve spoilers of this film, but spoilers of films in its orbit. But if you know what films are in its orbit, that might indeed spoil the film somewhat. Then we get down to real deal business spoiler time, and there's real deal business music to let you know we've gotten down to that business of analysis, and that's when all spoiler bets are off. So there you go, friends and neighbors. Now you all know. With that, Mr. Arthur Gordon, could you please voice an excellent synopsis for us, please? When their craft encounters space turbulence, a misfit crew lands on a desert planet with three suns. As they try to figure out a way to survive, they grow concerned about the dangerous prisoner they are transporting. But as they soon find out, an eclipse is upon them, and things are much worse when it's pitch black. Ooh, good synopsis. I, 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 got, just, I, got, I got goosebumps off that one. That's a good synopsis. I, I just have a logistics question because I don't think it's ever actually said in the film. How long is the eclipse supposed to last? They don't Im- know. Imam says an everlasting dark. Right. Well, it's Keith David in his excellent line delivery. We know it's not forever because this is not the first eclipse because eclipse is what occasion happened 22, 22 years, years ago. prior. Yeah. So maybe a few months because it does mention that the planets are moving together. But they don't ever outline a time. Yeah, I mean, all, they don't know. All They're, we know is Cole Hauser says... They have the same information we do. Yeah, Cole Hauser says, let's wait. And Rod Mitchell says, somebody probably said that. 
the last time yeah. this happened. Which is, we I mean, found them. is yeah. enough, but yeah. I, I find myself always wanting, like, specifics. I want to know... You the, want the novelization? I, I want the planetary rotation. I want to know what's going... I want the hard sci-fi in There this. is a novelization of Pitch Black. Is there? I bet it's yes. wild. I, now, did you... We all watched the director's cut. Yeah, I Voodoo. also watched the director's cut. I, I don't know what's I different from the standard cut. I bought it on cut. Amazon, because I'm a nerd. After you watched it? I didn't watch it on your Voodoo. Why? Because I wanted to buy it. Okay. Like, did you spoiler alert for the <laughs> shelf? <laughs> Oops! Did you did you pick up Chronicles of Riddick and Riddick? As I well? I did not. I, I have seen those. Did movies. you play the game on Xbox? I have well? played Escape from Butcher Bay. That game kicks ass. <laughs> Though I did lock my child in the closet and we ran from monsters for a while. Oh, okay. Well, that's you know as as good as seeing the sequels again. Almost as good, you know. But she's three years old, so it was kind of a bad call. Man, I really wish we'd had enough. <laughs> if we hadn't had to prep, you thought the other kid. <laughs> No, I assumed. Oh, okay. I assumed. Uh, I really wish we'd had I'd had the prep time to watch all three because I've still not seen 2012's Riddick. I have not seen that or. Oh, you haven't Chronicles. seen either. I've seen the Chronic What Coles of Riddick. Yeah, I was there on opening night. The Chronic the... 2001 of Riddick. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, it's fun. Stabs a dude in the head. That's that's the uh, that's how yeah, it ends. That's Car- the movie. Yeah, that's, the movie. that's it. He stabs Roll that dude. In, he stabs that dude in the head. And, and Carl Urban is like there, being cool, throwing shade. <laughs> he is cool, and jaw. shade is sometimes yeah. thrown, but not pitch black shade. There's no. much more light. Much more light. Let's get back to pitch black because we are not here to talk about the sequels. <laughs> no, we oh, are well, they're not, not really yet. sequels, are they? They they're... are continuing adventures. Yeah. of Buckaroo of, Ri- of Richard B. Riddick. <laughs> Richard, call him by his Christian name, please. <laughs> Ricky. Yeah. I want to know Ricky what the B stands for. I, you got it. You, I, is you it Bandersnatch? I mean, my assumption is Bandersnatch. <laughs> gotcha. It's Bitchard. Yeah, I do love that. I do love that. It's Holy like Bob. <laughs> Oof. So we've all seen this one before, oh, it's gotta, right? Is... I have. I've seen it before. Yeah, I've I've seen seen it okay. Before, yeah. I hadn't seen it in years. Yeah, but I mean, I was a little kid last time I watched. I've same. seen it fairly gotcha. recently, so I will go last as I want, but also per our sort of virginality order, I'll go. I think first to you, Dalton. What do you think in terms of review of the film Pitch Black? This movie kicks ass. I don't. I don't know what you want from me. I. I. You know. I. I wasn't going and expecting to dislike it by any stretch of the imagination, but. Uh, I don't exactly like think about Riddick a lot. I, I never got to the third movie. I've only seen the the second movie like twice, uh, and I I don't know that I'd even seen Pitch Black all the way through before watching it for the show. I know I'd seen at least bits and pieces of it, you know, closer to its original release and when it was on the cable rotation. But uh, you know, I, I didn't really have any expectations going in. I guess is is the cleanest way to put it. And I had a great time. This movie kicks ass. Uh, it's so much fun, and it's full of things it has no right to be full of, like character development. It has not one but three like interesting central characters, and they all like have a journey that you go on with them. They all have revelations, they all have secrets, and they all have problems. And it just like creates this, you know, this really surprisingly effective alien ripoff. Uh, alien by way of Flight of the Phoenix. Has anybody seen that one? You guys know about that? I've only seen the remake. Nope. It's about a plane that crashes and they got to rebuild the plane and mm. take off. Mm. Yeah, you got to get back on the plane that crashed. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You should never do. Uh, but Seems it, like yeah. that plane's got problems. This movie is set up to just be a pretty standard survival movie and it, it turns into a monster movie about halfway through. And I love it. I, I think it's great. Do the monsters look good? Not really. It's pretty bad even by the days, the CGI of the day. I mean, I'm thinking really it's just, what, 2000 is the year of release, yeah. right? Yeah, but yeah. I, it's really, I'm thinking 90s. I'm just thinking 90s, low budget, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, so it don't look I, great. I, I give it all a pass. I, but the monsters look cool enough to me that I didn't really care. Yeah, correct. Yeah, exactly. I give it a pass because it's like, all right, well, I don't know, even for the day, the time standards, this isn't great, but all of it was pretty bad at the time. Uh, but they look cool enough. They look weird. They got this sort of weird hammerhead by way of a knife interesting head shape they're cool you don't need to see them that often for them to be effective either and again you've got vin diesel doing all this legwork for everybody he just shows up and steals this show like it's so clear how they they parlayed this into a franchise other than you know vin diesel and uh, the directors like just enjoying the character and and wanting to keep working in this Mm -hmm. this universe uh but beyond that, like he does pop, and I, I guess during uh, it was a, during advanced screenings, you know, when they're uh, focus testing it and stuff, uh, he's he even popped in those focus screenings. So it, it really was like starting to pick up steam. And you know, this is a movie that has a lot to do with 
you know how we have the Vin Diesel we have today, right? Pitch Black gets picked up by Universal when its its original studio goes under, uh, and it's the success of this movie that convinces Universal that they've got a bankable leading man in Vin Diesel, and boom, the rest is history. Mm-hmm. Uh, so again, we've also got Rada Mitchell who is everywhere around this era. I like her a lot. I haven't seen her in anything recently, but I just, you know, everything she's in from this era, I think she's really good in. Um, and, you know, Cole Hauser's effective as yeah. slimy guy. It's He's played that role a million times. Like, yeah. the three of them are just great. And then you've got Keith David rounding out the supporting cast. Uh, Claudia Black from Farscape and, you know, a million video games. I've never watched Farscape. I've seen, like, the first two seasons. It's pretty cool. I've been thinking about it a lot lately. I, I've seen, like, I'm half, watching. Yeah, halves of episodes. And I've always went, oh, that seems fun. It is. Yeah. But it's, I never. Yeah, it's wacky. I like wacky. Yeah, it's it's got a good sense of humor about itself. It doesn't take itself too seriously, uh, which I, I really appreciate about the science fiction in general, but mm-hmm. especially that era. I feel like there's a lot of self-serious 90s sci-fi, yes. and Farscape has a lot of fun. Uh, and this movie has a ton of fun. It, it's just full of little Bon Mons from, from Riddick, just being cool. He has all kinds of fun future slang, slang like going going back to the slam. Come on, I love that. Are you kidding me? You give me some made-up future uh, bullshit? I love it. Every time I'm a sucker for fake slang. Uh, belt so a Oh, uh, you know I love the belt- <laughs> belters, man. Come on. Oh, uh, no time. That One of the best made-up languages on The Expanse, truly. Um, yeah, I don't know. There's just a lot to like it. And choices get made, right? Like, outside of all of this, this other table setting, as far as it's a fun, you know, sort of setup with this crash ship, and then there's monsters, and you've got sort of three central characters as opposed to any one lead. All apart from that, there's, like, real filmmaking choices that get made. Like, the, the crashing of the ship, there there's, like, this very this specific, like, sort of intercutting of unrelated images to sell the how chaotic it is to be on this this ship crashing you know they they shoot the different suns that orbit this planet with different lighting which is a little gimmicky i'll admit and kind of makes the movie look washed out in places but again it's it's washed out by design right i think it's a choice and yeah it, it there is passion here it, you it makes sense that diesel and twombly is that his name what's the director's name uh tohi tohi Tui? Tui, yeah. Tui, yeah. Tua high. Yeah, Tui. Let's go with Tui. I'm going to go Twa high. Twa high? All right. Well, Twa That's high. so it, wrong. <laughs> it makes sense that the three, the two of them work together for three more movies. Like, it, it just seems that there is a, a passion for what they're doing here. It very much has a, boy, I hope I get to make another movie someday energy. You know what I mean? Um, and I like that about it because he, uh, you know, did a little bit of research and he'd, he'd spent some time as a screenwriter and script doctor. And, uh, basically he picked, he took this script on assignment, uh, with the promise that if he could make it work, he'd get to direct it. And, uh, Hey, good job to cast and crew. Well done, everybody. This movie is a lean, mean, fun time machine. This is, this is good science fiction. Uh, is it as compelling as some of the stuff we watch for anti-trash? No, probably not. It definitely doesn't have the depth of analysis, but I don't know. It's got stuff on its mind. It's not just, you know, dumb and mindless, uh, but, you know, it's also got cool kills and suspenseful set pieces and, you know, fun technology. What's not to like? And again, it's all capped off by Vin Diesel showing up in one of his, like, earliest roles and stealing basically every scene that he's in. Absolutely. Thank you very much for that, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Mr. Arthur Gordon, what say you? Do you like Pitch Black? I had a very love-hate relationship with Vin Diesel in the uh, aughts. Um, and uh, this is the movie I, I first saw him in. Uh, and... Uh, Saw it in high school, and uh, it's it's cool. It was cool then. It's cool today. Um, I think that Dalton's. I mean, it, it is a it's Vin Diesel's movie. Yeah, I think without Vin Diesel, it, it falls apart. Um, unless they can find somebody else to cast in that role, because Riddick's just cool, and he encapsulates that so well here. Um, and, and so I really always kind of admired this movie from him in comparison to I, I didn't like Fast and the Furious, and so. That Vin Diesel, I was like, ah, I don't care. But this Vin Diesel was, I don't know. There's just something about Riddick who was just so cool. And, and the way this all comes together. And I like the premise. You know, it's got that very Rio Bravo, Assault on Pre-Seat 13 mm-hmm. thing going on, which is cool. Um, But yeah, I, I like it. I think uh, you're right. There are some really cool stylistic choices, uh, especially in some of the editing. Um, Kind of like some of the montage sequences with, close-ups of eyeballs and this kind of like expressionist thing that's going on there with with that element of it i think is really cool 
Uh, I, I think some of the other standard editing is really bad, though. I think it's just really choppy. They're just like scenes put together, and like cast members just seem to be in multiple places at one time. Like they walk into this room, and then like the next scene, they're in the next room already. Like that co- yeah. continuation yeah. of it is really choppy. Yeah, the geography continuity is a little messy. Um, but other than that, I, I think it's fun. It's a fun ragtag ensemble group of miscreants and the religious guy and the materialistic guy and the you know the murderer and the, the Aussie uh, yeah, couple the tag along and you know I mean I, is that assembled well uh, but yeah. I think they all do a pretty good job uh, carrying that um, I like seeing Keith David there uh, he's always a lot of fun I think he does really well as well um, so yeah I, I think it's an easy watch I think it's a fun watch uh, I think the monster design is really cool these like razor blade hammerhead things that are just tearing through people tearing each other up i i think that's just like really fun i like this kind of stuff all things considered you know that was the thing, kind of thing about jeepers creepers that i really like i like that lore of that movie this really cool creature shows up every few years and this is kind of in that same vein i think and so i, I like those elements of it murder cicadas murder cicadas we love a murder cicada. What's Gotta. not to like? Yeah, they build their little crawdad castles in the sand, too. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> right? Yeah. Their little mud bug palaces. Absolutely. It uh, looks so... When they fly out of... Again, I'm right there with Riddick. When they fly out and they do their like their bird, their bird swarm. Yeah. I love his eye thing. and I love how he gets it. Like, that character, that, that, that world building that goes into that stuff is really fun. Yeah. Did you know those contacts were available for consumer purchase uh, for about a year oh, after yeah, that not, film came not out? Surprised. That's not surprising at all. Yeah. Because uh, it's cool. It's cool. cool. I don't know that swim goggles are a big are, are the right choice, but uh, everything else about it's cool. He pulls it off. It's supposed to be welding glasses, but it's yeah, also weird because right. he shaves at one point, but he's obviously not shaving his stubble, mm-hmm. which is funny. But he's got that like petroleum oil or whatever yeah. is on there. It is a cool idea to have him shaving his head with engine grease. Yeah, like when, presumably. Just, yeah, he is that cool. Yeah, it's fun. So uh, this is a like knife. A 50s, this is a personal grooming device. Yeah, there, there's got to be like an Australian nod throwback to a. Dundee. Sure. Because he does a similar shaving thing in, in one of the movies. He's trying to impress the girl. And he, it is. He, sha- he shaves with a safety razor and then he sees her walk out so he grabs his blade out and starts shaving which is just a fun. It is classic cool, cool guy thing yeah. is to shave with a big blade. Yeah. yeah. So that that's fun. But yeah, I mean it's just a fun movie and we just, you know, I, I lament this all the time but it's just the kind of stuff we don't get anymore mm-hmm. uh, in, 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 in theaters. You know, it'll be on a Netflix, it'll yeah. be on a Hulu but to see this released, a mid-budget, you know, take a chance on this with a potential superstar. You know, we just don't get that much. So. Uh, yeah, the closest thing in recent memory I can even think of is Underwater. And even with that, they had to put Kristen Stewart on the poster, right? They, they yeah. had to have somebody who was a name. Yeah. And, and that, this is like, there ain't nobody in this is anybody when this comes yeah. out. So that's where I'm at. Very good, very good. Thank you very much for that, Mr. Arthur. I think the reason why it works so well for me is maybe a reason why it works well for you guys, and that is, fun fact, the script for Pitch Black was actually a script that was farmed out and pitched to be Alien 3. It's a version of Alien 3 that got worked out later by the Wheat Brothers, and then... um, I wonder if you got... So, Tui actually worked on an early draft of Alien 3. Yes. So, I I don't know if those are both... If both things are true at the same time. Yeah, Pitch Black is the... Well, well, the he bones of before that. he got alien. No, this was so. I the thing that I heard was this was originally supposed to be called um, Nightfall. Yeah, Nightfall. No, night. <laughs> wish it's a Cloverfield. Movie. Nightfall was the script that he got when he mm. when he came on. So I don't know if the the two guys that worked on it already and worked. maybe he transferred some of his Alien Three bits. I'm not yeah. sure, but there are bits the, of that. This there's alien DNA here. Yeah, yeah for sure. and it very yeah. much it feels, feels like, like Alien, alien right? It feels like an Alien film, and yeah. I and I think we like that movie. We like that franchise. Sure. We like how I that, don't like Alien Three, but I don't care for Alien. Alien Three is fine. It it's it's fine. I'm gonna go back and look and see if we put it on the shelf or not. I, I, um, I guarantee you he didn't. I, I would bet so much money that he didn't put Alien Three on the shelf. Yeah, I might. I might have had qualms because I there, there. I have some affection for it, but uh, it's not awesome. Uh, that's my opinion right now. My opinions change every day. Another, I know. Hey, and you know what? Another movie with a goggles guy. Another, mm. yeah, mm, interesting. But anyhow, uh, but it, it, it's an action-packed, uh, well-paced, just pedal to the metal. Uh, extravaganza of filmmaking. I, I really, really enjoy it. And the style we've already talked about a bit already, uh, I really do like its extremity in terms of style mm. and the ways in which it um, does show w- which sun is shining 
and the use of darkness and light and uh, the use of the monster vision itself. Right, and the Riddick vision. And Riddick vision. And so echolocated Riddick Riddick vision, uh, echolocated monster vision, and super shiny quasi-UV Riddick vision. Yeah. Right? We Uh, get not one, but two different POV filters. Great. And and I, man, I'm there for it. Yeah. No notes. (laughs) And so uh, that's, uh, that's, I mean, it just just really, really works for me. And it has, as you mentioned, uh, interesting emotional arcs for those three major characters. And uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm invested in uh, what's going on uh, with the film. So yeah, it works for me on just a, a scat of levels, and I won't say any more because much of it has already been said, but uh, yeah, I approve of this film. So there you go, dear listener. You know our opinions, they're generally pro. Uh, working towards a film bitch black. Let's move on to a little part of our show we like to call Expanding the Syllabus. Arthur, can you tell us what that's all about? Yeah, Expanding the Syllabus is a thought experiment wherein we, the host, assemble an academic course or module within a course based around the assigned viewing for the week and adjacent texts. That could be books, that could be articles, and it could be tangentially related films and stories. Thank you very much for that, Arthur. You're welcome. So now that we know what that's all about, Arthur, what does your syllabus look like? I think I'm going to explore that German expressionism thread here. Nice. I, I really like that. what's going on here. I didn't get into it too much. There's a lot of these montage cuts with eyes and faces and close-ups and this frenetic style that reminded me a lot of the German expressionism. We think German expressionism and think we tend to think more big kind of dark rectangular squared shapes and shadows. But uh, a part of that is that kind of uh, superimposed imagery uh, that, that work to add to the feel of claustrophobia or paranoia or unsettlement. And that's really what's happening, especially once they land, they're uncertain of what's going on. Where is Riddick? What is Riddick? Why is Riddick? Right. And they're playing with that idea quite a bit. And so I think through some of those German uh, expressionist techniques, uh, that comes together. And so that's something I just kind of think I want to explore here. It'd probably just be a module in a class. And I really thought about it in conjunction as a classical Hollywood mm-hmm. thing and that, and that idea of Hollywood kind of blobbing and absorbing these styles and then reproducing them in their own factory. Without teeth, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that may be the approach we take with this. Uh, but I'm going to start. There's a little uh, video essay on uh, No Film School uh, from Tyler Knudsen called How German Expressionism Influenced Cinema's Dark Side, just kind of walking through this idea. From there, we're going to start with The Cabinet of Caligari, which we've done on this show, uh, but it's kind of one of those t- touchstones of the style uh, from the studio itself. And so kind of going back to the source material there. We're going to move into Hitchcock, talk about his work in uh, Germany, working there in the studios, uh, and his absorption of that style, bringing that into his own uh, kind of repertoire. We probably do The Lady on the Train, uh, which uses several of these superimposed techniques to create this sense of confusion or unsettlement with the main character there. Uh, we're going to come across the sea with Hitch. We're going to talk about universal horror, though, uh, probably Frankenstein, but several of these movies are really modeled off of that heavy shadow, geometric shapes, unease, unnerve. Uh, that black and white photography that's just really gorgeous and, and really sets a tone uh, for the horrors that, that are coming. Uh, from there, we're going to jump ahead uh, to the 80s, and we're going to go with Blade Runner uh, and, and kind of talk that merger with cyberpunk, I think, and, and mm-hmm. how they build off of each other and also employ some of that noir. I kind of skipped that early on, but noir also builds off of German expressionism quite a bit. Uh, then I think I'm going to go with Villeneuve uh, here with Enemy, uh, which uh, is playing a lot with unset- unsettled unsettlement uncertainty uh and, and uh, kind of self-paranoia and uncertainty of what is happening uh from there i want to go with the crow which you mentioned i'd also probably do dark city uh, as well from alex proyas um and, and look at how those are constructed i think that dna is heavy there uh, and then finally i want to end with a modern movie to kind of just keep this current and i'm going to end with del toro's nightmare alley yeah uh, which is a remake of an older uh film noir uh but del toro style it's is is better based off of uh this older thing so that's where i would probably end it oh you've caught up with nightmare alley i have now yes yeah yeah it's good it's, you're it's just an o- you're just an okie with straight teeth had me hooting and hollering in Man, the theater so dude good. it was such a fucking great line <laughs> such a great Ugh. bit all right well thank you for that syllabus mr arthur gordon mr dalton stewart what syllabus bring you well i this could easily be a film studies course, or it could easily be a gender studies course. But we're going to talk about Vin, baby. We're talking about the surprising masculinity of Vin Diesel and what makes him work as as sort of a, a modern action hero. Because he has all the trappings of an 80s guy, right? Of, of your, your uh, Schwarzeneggers and your uh, Stallones. But there's something very different about Vin from 
the the generation of action dudes that came before him. And there is there is a softness to all of his characters, right? We've been talking about Vin, uh, Riddick and what a, what a badass Riddick is. Riddick is also like got this thing that makes so many of our favorite antiheroes compelling. You know, your your Wolverines, your uh, your Omar Littles from The Wire. Uh, he's got a code. And it's unpredictable, but it's somehow still consistent, right? You never know what Riddick's going to do or think about a situation, but when he reacts, you go, okay, yeah, sure, that makes sense for Riddick. He is a lawful neutral. Oh, yeah, big time, big time. Well, yeah, because it's his code. Yeah, sure, okay. I'll go with, I'll go with lawful neutral. I'm sure Vin Diesel's put a lot of thought into what the D&D has. alignment of Riddick is. <laughs> I, I bet he has. Uh, but we're going to talk about Vin's career and, and sort of... What's so surprising about it? We'll look at his short films, definitely, that, that he directed and starred in. Uh, we'll look at Find Me Guilty. So we'll definitely go off the beaten path, for sure. Uh, if you don't know, listener, Find Me Guilty is this sort of courtroom drama that he he's in, uh, wearing a hairpiece. Great stuff. Uh, the, co- the poster's fantastic. I've never seen the movie, but I think about this poster all the time. Uh, but I've, I've always wanted to catch up with it, because it is supposed to be a, a very different performance, a very different Vin. But I, I definitely, we'd of course look at the Fast franchise, some of the greatest hits from from that gigantic uh, multimedia. Well, I really, the multimedia one is is Riddick, which I think is interesting. You know, Riddick's got video games and animated short films that Vin Diesel's voiced. And again, I think the through line in all these characters is there. there's more here than machismo, right? Like, there, there is a, a lack of bravado to Riddick, especially in this film. Uh, you know, just thinking about Pitch Black, not thinking about those sequels right now. Uh, there is this, this lack of bravado that directly juxtaposes him to John's, right? The John's the mercenary, the bounty hunter. Is is very much like the, the cocksure, cool, cool guy, and, and Riddick, despite being very cool, is a very different kind of cool guy. And and the way this character operates is not one of uh, of boasting, is not one of of you know proving that he's a badass. He simply is, and allows that to be evident to everyone around him, <laughs> which is very cool. Uh, is he overly cool? Probably. And so is Dom Toretto. Like th- that is sort of the other thing about Vin's career is these cool guys he plays are often a little too cool for their own good, uh, and that's probably had something to do with Vin's ego, uh, which is you know sort of famous, I guess, if you you know go off his uh, feud with The Rock. Uh, but but anyway, I think there is something in- interesting about how he's deployed both like within media and and kind of the image he cultivates for himself, right? Because we also got to look at the Iron Giant and Groot, two voice performances he, he's done that are so far afield from his work as, like, the action guy, right? These are both characters who are, especially the Iron Giant, who are trying to not be action heroes at some level. Uh, and with Groot, that's a character that is, you know, doesn't have as much depth as really, you know, Riddick even, but is still kind of a character that is more about uh, family uh, than it is anything else, much like Dom Toretto. And I, I think that's what's so interesting about Vin as as an actor is all of these sort of like seminal roles of his, all, all of the, the, you know, big iconography we associate with Vin Diesel is he's a guy that is is much gentler than you would expect based on the poster uh, for, for the movies, right, based on the trailers. It is always about like togetherness and uh, it, some sort of... Uh, I was going to say equality, but maybe that's not quite the right word for it, but the egalitarianism of some sort, right? Like, it is very much about, like, t- taking people at their face. And again, that's that goes for Riddick. I think that goes for Dom, too. I think these are the sort of his two defining characters are very much characters that are uh, have a lot more depth than meets the eye, right? That is sort of the—I mean, that's the entire narrative thrust of the first Fast and Furious movie because it's the narrative thrust of Point Break. Uh, but but it is about the the crook with a heart of gold, right? And I think uh, time and again in his career, Vin Diesel shows guys that uh, work outside of the system in some capacity and might be branded an outlaw in some way, but end up being much more empathetic and and much more sympathetic than uh, the people chasing them. Cool guy. I don't know what you want from me. Vin's cool, and I think he's worth studying uh, at some level because I think he's. Again, there's not really anybody like him. I mean, there, he's got people you can compare him to, and those comparisons make sense. But, like, even, you know, looking at The Rock as sort of a contemporary of his, again, you know, by them working together in the Fast movies, I still think Vin's got something that... The Rock is probably more raw charisma than Vin, but Vin's got... 
Some he's got something, man, and I I don't know quite how to, how to put my finger on it. But maybe in this class, that's what we would try to do: is sort of identify what it is that makes him so special. He has a watchable quality. He does. He's he's he yeah. has got leading man uh, X factor. That's all there is to it. And he's limited in his range, but I think he's less limited than people want to want to give him credit. I think he's he's Definitely got more range to the Rock. Yeah, I think I think he's got more range than the Rock. I do too. I think that we've seen, I should say. Sure. The Rock kind of has fallen into that. I mean, I list. The, he's not as willing to take risks, I don't think. He doesn't have to. Yeah. I mean, he knows he knows exactly what he wants to do. He's kind of like Adam Sandler at this point. Yeah. He makes the movies he wants to make because he knows they're going to make money because he makes them for a certain audience. Mm-hmm. And he's going to make There's that not cash. a need to push it. I mean, he tried early in his career, I think, to push himself. Southland Tales, Get Short. No. Get sh- yeah, Be Get cool. Shorty. Be cool. The sequel to Get Shorty. Yeah. I mean, he tried some of that stuff, but uh, The Gridiron Gang, right? A little more dramatic. Sure. But I, I think he really found his niche is just a list action star, mm-hmm. and that's kind of where we've seen him. But I, I think Diesel's been allowed to kind of play around. He's in Saving Private Ryan, you know, gets a little bit of character piece there. Yeah, that's the one we'd look at too. I just because I think you know that's an interesting war films in general. Always a sort of a evergreen source of looking at masculinity in film. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know that's a character that's really cool and eats it very unceremoniously. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, but it's a it's a performance that stands out. Like he he really you know you can see why Spielberg uh, saw these short films and were like I want this guy, he's got something. Yeah, it definitely makes sense. Uh, yeah, I think I'm I'm in agreement with you, Arthur. I, I I you know I don't know that he's better than The Rock is necessarily the right way to frame it, but like he's definitely got some we, The Rock doesn't have. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I agree with that. Yeah, like, those are the wrong questions almost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. What is it that he what what does the rock not have that mm-hmm. Diesel has? Is I think maybe maybe the question. Yeah. What, uh, only, yeah, I don't think it's a talent thing, but there is a presence. Yeah. Magnetism, machismo, charisma. Yeah, the rock I is super yeah. likable, but and I guess Vin doesn't come across as innately likable, but that's almost almost to his benefit. Yeah. Well, there's a that the, rebellious bad there's, boy. There's type there's, of a, thing. there's a shroud of shadow about him. Yeah, he's you know? he's tall yeah. and handsome. Yeah, yeah, and that's the rock's it. The yeah. Which the rock is it? It's yeah, not yeah. the rock isn't that. I mean, he's just tall. Yeah, <laughs> and handsome. Yeah, but he's not the mysterious. He's not. Yeah. He's not dashing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Diesel. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Diesel's Diesel's dashing. never gonna be Bond. No. Yeah. Or, or esque. You know, he's not. Yeah. He's his not Bond is Triple X. I forgot his other defining character. Right. <laughs> Replaced by Ice Cube in the sequel. Uh, oh, aren't boy. they both in Part Three though? I think I don't remember. That's wild. Dustin, what about you? How 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 would you try to teach the film Pitch Black? I think there's two ways I might teach it. So I have um, two sort of semi syllabi for you right now. Uh, the first one would be simply to look at the entire media franchise, video games, mm-hmm. uh, the film, uh, and parts of the sequel. So this mm-hmm. is probably a longer module here, and yeah. use the transmedia storytelling essay by Philip Jenkins, uh, to sort of, which deals mostly with the Matrix, True. but looking at something that's not the Matrix, to show how this is applicable in other, uh, other uh, franchises. And so that might be a way to get into it. But the more likely way I would use this uh, would be in an intro to film class where you would be talking about style in film, shots, types of shots, particularly the use of POV point of view, Shooting and the ways in which POV can establish characterization because we do have, interestingly, in this film, the monster vision that we've mentioned and the Riddick vision, uh, two different stylistic choices that are made. And to look at those t- uh, clips, it wouldn't be so much a, a film that I would screen in its entirety, pitch black, but it'd be a film I'd use alongside a few other films to show, particularly in the science fiction genre, but not just in science fiction, kind of sort of fantasy in general, speculative fiction where that, those things are achievable. And that brings us to a film that Arthur's already mentioned, The Crow, because in that film there's this fisheye lens that's used for crow vision throughout the film. Yeah. And uh, so uh, Brandon Lee's character is able to see through the, uh, the titular crow, because I guess he's not the crow. He's Eric Draven, which is crow. Anyway, uh, bad naming. Nonetheless. Pretty, pretty cornball. Pretty cornball, but I, I don't care. The movie's it's, just, it's likable. The movie's just awesome. I don't care. Um, but I do like that crow vision that is useful there. And then, of course, like the, the creme de la creme example of this is Predator, John McTiernan's Predator. Yeah. And so looking at that uh, infrared heat vision there, which is a closer pairing, I think, uh, by far to Pitch Black. And then the last example, to go a little art house with it, is uh, the uh, the film Nadja, the vampire film, um, uh, which is produced by David Lynch, although he's not the director of this film. But they use a, a toy camera, a Fisher-Price Pixel Vision camera, to shoot the vampire vision cool. scenes. Uh, 
of uh, that film. It's got a kind of an understated general art house aesthetic, the whole film does. Mm -hmm. And just the different ways in which these different technologies, uh, different processes or ways of washing uh, the uh, celluloid or digital, um, you know, post uh, gimmickry, trickery, mm -hmm. um, the ways in which those help establish not only a visual palette for the rest of the film, but also ways in which we might understand more deeply what the character sees and how the character sees and what the character appreciates. Because I think the key moment we've already mentioned is when Riddick sees the bat-like alien thingies um, flying up out of their termite mounds and is awed by their beauty, which is not the right response. But when we see it the way he sees it, we go, well, yeah. I mean, I, I, I kind of get it. Right, and uh, this gives us an uh, uh, again. I think that's characterization there yeah. because he finds beauty in these monsters because he's kind of a beautiful monster, and that's perhaps part of the point of the film. Absolutely, is the yeah. point. It's honestly almost too on the nose, but like it doesn't matter. It does act absolutely work in the moment uh, because the, you know the rest of the cast is selling how afraid they are. Mm -hmm. uh, going back to your your lineup, what about Terminator? That kind of. Oh, the, the T1, T-800 vision. vision. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I think that would be a good example as well. And again, the way in which it analyzes, especially in Terminator 2. Yeah, well, I just uh, think about pop culture permeation with that one. Because, mm -hmm. I mean, that was kind of everywhere. Right. No, that's a good call. A, almost like a meme. Yeah, yeah, it does kind of get memed uh, yeah. a, a bit. And the ways in which you're looking at target, not target, you know, or he's measuring up the size of the uh, biker's boots, pants, and shirt. You know, I need yeah. your boots, your jacket, and your motorcycle. Um, like, all yeah. of that stuff. Yeah. You know, that, that works really well for it as well. And again, science fiction and speculative fiction in general tends to use these yeah. um, affects a bit more than um, what you might find. And you, you can get some disjointed sort of, you know, Peeping Tom kind of vision. Yeah, because you get in horror a lot, but it's because yeah. I thought about like Sam Raimi's sort of famous for his, you know, that that flying POV. The flying POV but that's of a the different demon. thing. Yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah. The, using it to, I mean, it's, it's closer to the Predator thing. Right. Yeah, but you get more of a sense of the speed of the demon there, not so yeah. much seeing what it sees. It doesn't characterize. Well, I think yeah. even with like, uh, you know, Halloween and Signs of the Lambs, it, it's more of a tool to put you in a place of unsettlement. It's not, mm -hmm. I don't think, used as characterization for those uh, people, for Lecter or for or Clarice or for uh, Lecter. Michael Myers either. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. Mike, right. Mike's walking through the house mm -hmm. at the beginning of the Halloween. Well, it, it feels like that's a tool that's more about audience unrest rather than right. what we're seeing in the sci-fi. Because, mm -hmm. again, there, there's a way in which the, 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 the visual tricks are cueing us in visually yeah. to a style, obviously to show that it's uh, something that's alien other to us, yeah. right? But also to deep, more deeply understand that thing by seeing, quote-unquote, through its eyes. Yeah. Even when the it is another human being who just happens to have had perhaps a genetic uh, advantage or a uh, thing done in prison because that's sort of debatable in the franchise universe, but that's... Unclear. 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 Which is fine. Deliberately murky, maybe. Yeah, perhaps. How did I get these scars? Yeah, right. So there you go, dear listener. Your syllabus just got much longer, but I believe now is the time we get down to business. It's Indeed, and that business is, as always, analysis. What do you got, Arthur? Well, I want to go back to something you mentioned, because I do think it's interesting. <gasps> what you, did I do? You, well, you discussed in your, your first non-syllabus syllabus um, the kind of transmedia adaptation of this from movie to movie to video game to anime, um, which I think at the time, in the aughts, uh, was a kind of a much more unexpected groundswell. I mean, I, I think you could almost expect something like that today. Mm-hmm in the kind of myths, social media, and the world we live in. But I think in the odds, I mean, social media is still developing as well. Obviously, we have message boards. We have internet fans. But I think it's an interesting place for this franchise to kind of develop because I know the first movie was successful, but I wouldn't call it a cultural no. touchstone or phenomenon at the level of the Matrix. No. And right? it's definitely, yeah, it's, it's not like, well, I guess you could argue it's similar to the Matrix in that the Matrix is 
transmedia thing doesn't start until the sequels. And that's definitely the case here, right? It's, yeah. it's the Chronicles of Riddick, the the much bigger sequel that introduces a tie-in video game and yeah. and a spin-off anime and stuff. And, so. and uh, the significant difference here, I think, in development in transmedia storytelling is how these other media forms expand the story. Uh, particularly in the form of the video games. We've seen some of this before this where uh, a comic book uh, run might be picked up by a given television property or yeah. or a popular film, mm, and that sure. that comic book run may take those characters in different directions and tell backstories or you know secrets from Java's palace or whatever you know kind of stuff. And so you see some of that sometimes. But if, for instance, I mean, I remember playing lots of movie tie-in video games on the old Super Nintendo in the '90s. But all of yeah. those video games were simply uh, reskinning the plot into a platforming side-scrolling. Yeah. Video game where I was going to be the Rocketeer and I was going to eventually, you know, yeah. be, you know, not uh, Errol Flynn yeah. at the end. That was just, that's where it was taken. Yep. Or Terminator. I mean, Terminator. Or, or Terminator, had Terminator yeah. yeah. Sa- T2. Sa- yeah. Exact same kind of idea there. In the case of The Matrix and A Pitch Black, though, these are new stories that yeah. are being uh, told through this different media. Well, they're, they're lend, they, they are lended credibility by having, you know, involvement from the cast, right? You've got this all this extra footage they shot with Jada Pinkett Smith for the, the Matrix video game. Uh, and then with Escape from Butcher Bay, you've got Vin Diesel coming on to VO. It's a prequel to Pitch Black. Like, it's its story is slotted into the mythology of the universe. So, yeah, it's definitely a different thing. And in this case, though, it seems that everybody sort of tries or at least attempts to do this kind of thing. I mean, I'm, I've, mm. I've played a few Lord of the Rings video games that are sort of backstory, Shadows of Mordor yeah, kind of sure. stuff that, that um, tell different Tolkien stories other than the sort of, you know, canonical trilogy and so but those games aren't as successful or as popular i mean shadows of mordor probably was i was thinking yeah. um, I, mean, I made two of them yeah uh i was the, the the lord of the rings the third age which is a playstation yeah. 2 game was less popular yeah. i think although it had ian mcclellan and yeah that game isn't that the one that's like a final fantasy like turn-based right. role-playing game yeah i played that yeah, it's it's very much like the Forrest Gump of the Lord of the Rings. It's like, what if you were a guy that was like on the outskirts of the all the major of moments all the of the things. movies? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember That's this. Fun. Which yeah. is kind of fun, and it's kind of like sure. this sort of elf human romance going on in the back. You know, so there there are yeah. bits to it that are interesting. Yeah, but it's it's still you know, it, it, but it's do, trying to do that same kind of thing. Well, and I think everybody tries to do that, right? After the Matrix does it super successfully, it does slowly. It's it's not all at once overnight, but it is you know through the course of the MCU and and all of the other sort of related IP. Uh, moments that have happened in cinema history over the last two decades or so, right? I think it does become the norm. It just takes a long time. And it is interesting that the Riddick franchise is, is sort of there on the ground floor being one of the first... I, I don't know. Maybe there was something about who Pitch Black and Chronicles of Riddick appealed to that they the studio Universal saw in that audience the same thing that Warner Brothers saw with The Matrix, right? They're like, oh, well, let's just make more of this because the people that like it really like it. Yeah. I don't know. So I want to talk about Westerns now. Okay. Because I want to think about the Western motif and trope of the good bad man. That there and is the bad good man? And the bad well, no. The bad lawman. The bad lawman. I mean, there is a bit of that as well, right? Yeah. But uh specifically the good bad guy. Um, yeah. more so Riddick's character than John's um character. And the idea of that there is this external world that is wild, that is not domesticated, that is scary. Right, the dark becomes that, mm-hmm. and so rather than simply just wilderness as it is in the western, it becomes a bit more primal and sort of a Joseph Campbell kind of sense that these are sh- stories we tell about a campfire and we gather around the campfire because the dark is what frightens us. But what we need in order to negotiate and navigate that dark is some human who does not really participate in the rest of the human community can enter the human community, is able to speak the language, so to speak, but is not really a part or a member, but is as much a member of the darkness himself. Yeah, he and, alludes to himself being an animal a couple of times. Right, and this is like, like the that. Ethan character of the Searchers, I'm thinking of, of sure. specifically here, and the way the Searchers uses inside and outside space. And that very much, I think, uh, Vin Diesel's character kind of is in the same tradition as John Wayne's character in that 1950s John Ford film. Yeah. And so... Um, do we have any thoughts on that? Well, I thought a lot about Riddick's character because all we know about Riddick is what is told to us either via him or via John's. Yeah. Right. And John's proves himself multiple times over to maybe not be the most trustworthy of individuals. And so there's even that moment where uh, 
they're having their heart to heart uh, as they're walking across the canyon. Another good Western mm-hmm. motif. Um, and he mentions, you know, uh, medical soldiers uh, trade lives on the battlefields all the time, and they call it triage. Yeah, yeah, and then, yeah. Uh, Riddick says, well, that's not what you told me. Or that's not what you called it when I did it. Mm-hmm. So there is that, that nice secrecy or you know, hidden info of, is he really the monster Johns is selling him to be? Is he, well, is he the, even the monster that he sells himself to be? Right? Yeah. Like I mean, he, is he just you know, printing the legend yeah. and buying into that? And I think that that's Another yeah. John Ford yeah. reference. Well done. Well done. <laughs> Thank you. I think that does prove to be the case, right? I think Riddick is invested in his own myth-making because it means people will leave him alone. Yeah, it's a, yeah self-protection. Yeah. It's that shield up. Yeah. Well, that's I think that's what make, makes thing. him so interesting, too, right, is that th- this is a note that I had took, taken during the, the, the film was this sort of dueling masculinity of Johns versus Riddick, right? Like, Johns is, I'm the cool guy. I'm in charge. Riddick is not an in-charge guy. He's not anybody's boss. Not his deal. Yeah, he he, is, he, he, he the he actively avoids the responsibility of a leader. Uh, it's not what he wants to do. And, and Johns is thirsty for power. Right. Well, Johns is a team player insofar as he wants to run the team. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And Riddick is not a team player at all. He doesn't want to run the team, nor does he even want to be part of the team. No. And I, I well, and it's that juxtaposition of, you know, it, it is that Western framing of the guy with the gold star and the gun, right? That makes us associate Johns with the law, that makes us associate Johns with the side of right. Uh, it's the same mistake that, uh, what's Rodda Mitchell's character's name? Uh, Carolyn. Sure. I think it's Carolyn. I wrote it down somewhere. I wrote it somewhere, maybe. Anyway, uh, but it's it's this Riddick kind of has a moment where he says that to her, like, "Oh yeah, yeah, Fry. Fry. it's Fry. That's her last, her last name. Think, yeah, yeah. Let's go with Fry. I think uh, it is Carol Fry. It's, it's Carol Carolyn, I think. Um, but yeah, Fry. He says to Fry something to the effect of like, "Yeah, you you bought the badge or whatever." Like he's like, "This guy's not even a real cop. Mm-hmm. He's a merc. He's mm-hmm. which." I think it's a little cowardly to make John's a merc and not a, an actual cop, but it, it makes him like inherently less likable. So it does kind of make sense. I just, I just think it's even, if if the official law is even is worse than Riddick. I don't know. I just think that's a fun choice, but that's just me. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. There, there is this juxtaposition between them throughout the film that I think is really, really interesting because there is this bravado and, you know, like you said, wants to be on the team in a, insofar as he wants to lead it versus this much more reserved, like Riddick is not in, in a, what is he called? Billy Badass. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He's not in a hurry to be Billy Badass. It's not really what his deal is. He sees Johns do that and, and rolls his eyes at him. Well, he's more of a wild animal. I mean, it's really what it comes down. He's just—he's not civilized. Mm, it, mm. It is 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 sort of the way in which we're sort of we're, we're I think he's presented to us. Presented to us, yeah. yeah. And again, the motivation for his imprisonment—we don't know about this kind of stuff and yeah. whether or not it's legitimate. And you know, there's a number of other questions that remain unanswered. And the rest of the media franchise might say he refused to obey orders to murder, and then did some murders to get away. But it was. You know, like mur- multiple murders versus, you know, killing one lousy lieutenant, you know, which, I mean, I get. Um, so, <laughs> I, I don't know. The, but that seems to be kind of the direction that the film seems to be taking there. Uh, it's, it's interesting, just the trope of the the law the lawman in the lawless place. Mm-hmm. I, I think it is really interesting to, to have, the, for this film to, to know that trope, see it, and to do something different. I think it's really cool. So this raises the, uh, I guess the uh, the big philosophical question of the film, right? Um, does God save them? Well, that is the interesting man. This is the cool thing about Keith David's fun fact. Another, we got fun facts galore this episode. Originally, the Imam's religion was going to be Christo Islam or Christ, Christ Islam or something like a modernized. They had a, they had a future, Christo Islam. Yeah, they had a future religion uh, for the movie when they were first working on it, uh, and I think. Somewhere else in the franchise, they specifically say that. But anyway, uh, I just thought that that was a fun, you mm-hmm. know, production tidbit. But that's his theology is so cool, right? Riddick, uh, uh, you know, gives him a "Where's your God now?" moment, and at some point, uh, the Riddick saves the day, and he's like, "There he is, there he, he is, is, buddy, got your ass." <laughs> I told you, which is such a great moment, right? Yeah, it, it's it's Riddick that saves them. If you want to be like literal cause and effect about it, right? But if you want to get wooey about it for a second, yeah, he's the moved by the willingness to make self sacrifice. Yeah, yeah. 
a change of heart at the right moment. Right. And again, what moves him again is uh, Fry's willingness to sacrifice herself. Will you die for them? I would try for them. Yeah. yeah, you know, which is a great couple of lines. Yeah, it's a, it's there's some good banter in this movie. Yeah, I it, I think Roda Mitchell and and Vin Diesel are really good together. Mm-hmm. I think their scenes are all super compelling. Right. Well, and even I mean, the three leads all have a variety of scenes, you know, with different pairings of the three of them, and I think all those scenes really cook. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they're all great. But yeah, I think that that standoff between them of him being like, oh, you don't know these people anything. Let's get out of here. Uh, and I. The the way in which he goes about changing his mind is very interesting, and it, it works. It works really well. Do I like the movie better if everybody gets to live? Sure, but it's not that kind of movie. I would like less teenagers dead. I, you know, it makes me sad. That they oh, just, it is they, sad that all they the use kids. all the kids for cannon fodder, and it's just most yeah. sad. Well, I was most sad they killed the captain because I like the captain. I like Fry. I thought she was cool, yeah, but you're right. It, it is sucks. I they think kill it's all a good kids. move, though. I, I think, I think there's good stakes with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, you know, it's again something we're not. Con- addition to anymore yeah i think especially in modern blockbusters mm. to see that sort of risk we talked about that on friday the 13th actually mm. where it kind of disrupts that final girl trope yeah uh, in the finale and I, I think it is a interesting move here for them i think uh i also feel like it's a little progressive in in that who does manage to survive in the imam and in uh jack, jack. the kid yeah as well who is not male yeah that we find out, which I, I think is, I don't know, there's something inherently smart about that when you're conditioned to American movies where typically minorities, people of color, are going to be the first to be killed off. Yep. yep. You know, we do get to see Keith David make it to the end and had this been quick in the dead, he would not have. No, yeah, it, it isn't. And, and, it isn't and does him. not. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and you're right. I, I think this kind of ties back to something we've all talked about liking about the film. Having those three central characters allows you to, 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 confuse the audience right you don't know where your loyalties are supposed to be if you have three different characters that all seem like they could be the star of their own movie mm-hmm. and that's that's just good storytelling is to have have sort of a a triptych of characters that could any any one person be the protagonist of, of a given story I, I think it works really well and you're right it does work for the stakes to to off one of them and you know it works for a character moment uh, for it just you know anytime a, a woman gets iced to service a man's character arc it's yeah. it's kind of a bummer just because it happens all the time but it it is done effectively here well, and and it's, it's, it's done at the end of the film rather than the first yeah absolutely which, I think which is, is what, different which is yeah. what sort of absolves it of refrigeration sort well, of accusations and giving fry the that arc too has the, the fact that she has her whole own complete arc within the the course of the film does a lot right she goes from being the the survivor the the person's like no, we're going to make the choice that involves us yeah. surviving to I'll die to, to protect these people because it's my job. It's well, my I responsibility. Mean, even further back in that circle, it's, no, I'm going to sacrifice all these people to save my skin. Yeah. And yeah. then it is that progress through it. I think that's really cool. And I think secondly, with you know the, the frigid moment, it, it doesn't motivate revenge. It motivates that willingness to sac- self-sacrifice and yeah. right. serve others. Well, and, and again, it's, it's, it results in rebirth. I mean yeah. that that's sort of what the film begins to suggest is that Riddick died on that planet. Yeah. And uh and yeah. I and I and I think that sort of, you know, again, sacrifice working powerfully there uh is 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 cool really stuff. really yeah. interesting. And uh I that is where some of that theological rubber meets the road. And it's a weird sort of circle because this does bring us back to the earlier film, major blockbuster of Vin Diesel's, which is Saving Private Ryan. Sure. And Tom Hanks has earned this speech. Hmm. And okay. so it, uh, there's a, there's an interest again. This is the different different production teams, different screenwriters, different intentionalities. Yeah, we're just talking about stories and the way they interrelate. Stories and they work, but uh, weirdly enough, Vin Diesel's in two different movies where gratitude motivates uh, gratitude in the face of great sacrifice motivates uh, life change. Right mm. in the case of Matt Damon in um, Saving Private Ryan, but in the case of Diesel's uh, Riddick character here. And that is, I, 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 that's why it resonates. I think it's part of why this movie slaps, is because it just, it resonates there. Yeah, I mean, it's it's boilerplate, sure, but it is so effective. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the way it tells this this pretty, you know, by-the-numbers sci-fi horror movie. Right. It, it finds it finds some real pathos there, for Absolutely. sure. Um, are there any um, final thoughts in terms of analysis before we turn to rendering a verdict? Then we shall, shall we banish this eternally to the night of the trash can, or shall it see the light of day of your local shelves? What do you say, Dalton? You know, this movie isn't really streaming anywhere right now. Uh, this is this is shelfable. 
This is this movie's cool. I th- this movie is a good time. If you can find this with the other two, snatch that up. I can't believe that this franchise isn't like streaming in its entirety anywhere. I guess it makes sense. None of these movies were that big of a hit. I think Chronicles of Riddick actually lost money. I could Aww. be wrong on that. The second one, I, second one's got a big budget. Um, and then it was quite a while before they got back to Riddick. I think, right? Yeah, it's like yeah, it was a minute. It, it's four years between Pitch Black and Chronicles of Riddick, and eight years between Chronicles yeah. and so Riddick. Because I was thinking, this is the, it was in the teens, right before we got to like yeah, twenty twelve. I think, yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, no, no, no smoke uh, on m- further developments in the the Riddick franchise, other than. Uh, Vin Diesel probably would do it in a heartbeat. Oh, I think he, he totally would make another movie if he could. Yeah, he's got some quote floating around about how he basically did the the cameo in Tokyo Drift to like to get momentum Nudge. underneath Riddick to 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 have the clout to say, "All right, I'll help save the Fast and the Furious franchise if you help save my franchise." Look, Universal, he's made you how many billions of dollars? Just 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 give him a Riddick movie. Yeah, mm-hmm. give him throw him a Riddick. Let him let him have a fourth throw him a Richard B. Riddick. He'll do a fourth one for you. Very good, very good. Well, what do you say, Arthur? Shelf or trash for Pitch Black? You know what? It's it's easy to see how this did spawn this kind of transmedia legacy. And so, I, I mean, it's cool. And I, I think I'm going to shelf it. Yeah, I like it. Well, I did, fellas. Uh, that, <laughs> I was looking and I was like, you know, I could get this on Arthur's Voodoo, or I could just not rent it, but buy it on Amazon and always have access and I said, yes, that is what I'll do, because I think I'll use this to teach at times, uh, because there are just moments of it that are just powerful and useful. And yeah. so, um, yeah, it's a definite shelfer for me as well. It's just good, fun, dumb action, but it's got layers, like yeah. Riddick. Riddick's and Ogres, they both have layers. That's a fact. Hmm. Well, there you go, dear listener. Um, if you want to be part of the conversation, tell us how we're right or how we're wrong, more likely. Um, Dalton will tell you how you can have a conversation with us. I sure will. You can send all of your long-form feedback to goodtrashgenrecast at gmail.com. We, we, do we, we, I assume, I never ask because you don't, I assume you would say if we did. We don't have any, like, email sent at the top of the list that we should be reading, do we, Arthur? No, I don't think so. I figured not. But, you know, if you want to, if you want, Send us a good email. This is the place where we would read it if it's a good one. That's goodtrashgenrecast at gmail.com. Send us that long-form feedback. We're really anything that's on your mind. You can also get a hold of us over on Twitter, at goodtrashmedia. You don't need to be on Twitter if you're not already, but, you know, if you're already lurking around that part of the internet, it's, you know, the only social media account we really keep up with. That's goodtrashmedia, at goodtrashmedia on Twitter. Uh, We post links to this show and other shows in, in our orbit, uh, friends of ours and uh, the things that they're making, yeah, it's it's a good follow if you're if you're not already following us. We we try to make it a good one anyway. Uh, last but certainly not least, if you go to patreon.com forward slash gtm, uh, you can find uh, different tiers uh, of, of support you can throw our way. Some of those tiers involve things like picking movies for the show. Uh, the best tier, so I've been told, is the one where Arthur sends you a movie. Uh, I say because I've been told because people keep telling me that they like that. There's only, we only have so many patrons, but boy, do they like it when Arthur sends them a movie. Um, I don't know. People are into it. So, you know, go and check it Don out. The Don Juan of movie picks. That's right. <laughs> I don't know what that means, but I like it. Uh, <laughs> I'm uncomfortable with the entire project. That's <laughs> patreon.com forward slash GTM if you want to be part of that. You know, rate, review, subscribe, wherever you, you listen to us. You know the deal. Sorry, right. I meant Don Johnson. <laughs> what on earth? Thank you, Dalton. You, it's so <laughs> sorry. I was you said Don Johnson made me think of Don John, the my, Joseph Gordon-Levitt yeah. movie, and it's so weird that that's the movie that JGL like burned with... all of his Hollywood capital on. <laughs> it is God a love weird him. Choice. What a weirdo! Hey. Have you seen that, Mister? It's not. Is it Mister Cooper? I know I've talked about this. No, on Apple TV? Yeah. Uh, it's pretty good. Is it? Yeah, it's not bad. He, he directs a couple episodes, and he equips himself okay. quite well. This has been JGL Corner, where we update you on Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Uh, I think we're, we're done with this episode. Arthur, do you want to tell people how we're closing out uh, part two of this two months of science fiction? Yeah, we're going to, uh, maybe if I can find my notes, where did they go? There they are. Uh, We trek back to Earth for a sweeping space epic from the House of Mouse as we take a look at Chloe Chow's Eternals. It's a Marvel movie, friends, so we'll see you all there. What was the last Marvel movie we talked about? Endgame? That sounds right. Probably right, yeah. Yeah. um, It's been a while. We haven't... It's been a while. 
yeah, gosh, so much has happened in the MCU since we last uh, darkened their door. Um, I can't wait to talk about the, uh, I don't know, the biggest franchise in all of movies. It's it's so I don't I I was trying to think of a mean way to talk about it, but it really is the just most sort of superlative baffling. of all superlatives. Yes, the the behemoth of all behemoths. <laughs> so um, there you go, dear listener. You keep watching. We'll keep talking. We'll see you all next time.